0: Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. It is Jen and I uh, today in our studio. Well, it's my office almost studio. almost studio. Yeah, like we're two
1: weeks away. That's
0: right. Super, super close in our new building downtown Springfield, which is very exciting. More people keep coming in um, like new therapists. Yeah. And it's so cool. Yes. To see just pods of people like in offices. Yes. Talking and laughing and writing things on whiteboards
1: you know like a couple of months ago we had a few different people reach out that were like hey i'm in springfield any chance i could stop by and like see your center and we weren't moved in yet yeah so if you are visiting springfield missouri by chance send us an email we would love to have you stop in yeah, see the place come on by yeah we would love
2: that
0: yes and i can just see ryan's face right now ryan would love to introduce you to our space he's very proud so of much. it yes yeah. yeah it's so cool Um, But we are here today to kind of start a new series um, on the podcast uh, talking about case conceptualization. Um, We've um, been... Talking about SIP for a while now, um, since we kind of first started writing it um, and the first time we trained it. But now we're going to kind of uh, just set the tone for the next few episodes, uh, which are specific to case conceptualization uh, in EMDR. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really exciting. Um, both of us and everybody in our practice kind of just gets really excited when we start talking about this. Um, but before we do that, um, we wanted to talk about Patreon. Uh, which is an online community that we have um, where so much of our content lives and so much of our uh, invitation to community is. And so uh, that is Beyond Healing Center, uh, specific to Beyond Healing Center. And that is at patreon.com slash beyondhealingcenter. And there are multiple tiers that you can select from to get involved at various different donation amounts. And that gets you access to different types of things. Um, At the the highest level that we have, at $20 a month, you're going to get access to um, all of the consultation calls that we have. And we're recording those as well. So those will be published to the Patreon uh, database. And you will also get uh, different kind of promo things available to you. Also different invitations to things kind of first run Mm -hmm. goes out to the Patreon members. Um, So, yeah, we would really love for you guys to, to continue to support us. Follow us on Instagram. All those things.
1: Please come join our community in that. It's so great to get to connect with everybody and hear from you. We get a lot of wonderful messages through Patreon as well as our social media. Yeah. So find us and connect.
0: Yeah. I saw mail going out to uh, Ireland and South Africa. How fun recently, which is cool. Stickers probably. Stickers, yeah. Stickers, decals, things like that, which you will get. So (laughs) very cool. So case conceptualization. What is it? Yeah. Um, what do you feel like, I'm just curious, Jen, from your perspective as like a trainer, what it's like in, to do a training on EMDR
2: mm-hmm.
0: without being able to go like full fully into case conceptualization yeah. theory.
1: So interestingly enough, last week we were in Oklahoma doing an EMDR basic training for five days. It was wonderful, mm. um, but it was so different coming out of having just done several... SIP trainings that is fully devoted to case conceptualization three whole days. yeah And then to talk about EMDR without that background. And half of the people there have taken SIP and half of them had not. And so that was really interesting, just dynamic um, amongst the group.
0: Yeah. What were the questions like from the different type of... You know,
1: it, it's a, it's a difference between someone who doesn't have a strong case conceptualization approach, ask questions that are like the specifics, right? Yeah. They want to know the details of, should I have used that interweave or was there a different interweave or, mm. Oh man, maybe I should have gone back to the target instead of done another set or what uh, negative cognition, like getting really hung up on the specifics and the details. When we're looking at case conceptualization, we're saying let's zoom out completely. Yeah. Let's picture out of the specifics. Yeah. Yeah. The entire roadmap. And really start bringing the pieces together to to create the map to say, where are we? Where did we come from? Mm. And where do we need to go? Yeah. With that in
0: mind. So you you feel a difference then in somebody who doesn't have as strong of a case conceptualization theory as they get kind of down into the specifics. But for the people that do have a stronger, mm-hmm. how do they ask questions? Like How did you experience that?
1: You know, and I'm also, as I'm talking about this, I'm reflecting on my own experience with it because like, mm. I was you know, a consultant in EMDR before really, I had uh, really solidifying how I conceptualize cases and having language around that. And so reflecting on the training, but also my own experiences of um, getting lost in the details versus being able to almost read between the lines, um, pick up on pieces of the puzzle or of the map that makes sense to say, okay, this explains what we need to be working on and having a greater sense of direction on what targets really matter. Yeah. So without it, man, there's just a list, especially in, you know, a highly traumatized individual, a list of so many targets that it can feel like just chasing the next rabbit. Yep. And getting lost in the finite details of that one thing when instead having a more meaningful understanding of what targets actually have significance mm. and then even more so what resources have such power?
0: Yeah. Why they have power. Yes. Why they seem to sometimes be the therapy. Yes. Why And resource resources not
1: being complex container. Right. Those are resources, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Like what needs to be installed within their memory networks yes. to counterbalance the impact of the trauma and give them a network for the traumatic experiences to be integrated into to make it more adaptive and to find healing.
0: Yes, I think back to that what is resourcing episode that we had uh, mm-hmm. just a while back, and that that is so much more of what we're talking about, not just mm-hmm. here's a, a script for you to read that helps this person have a resource to turn to when they're dysregulated right. or out of their window of tolerance or whatever.
1: It's not just coping strategies. Right, exactly. It's mm-hmm. not
0: affect. Yeah, it's, it's not affect regulation. It, it's something that's helping them gain a new way of organizing lived experience. Mm-hmm a completely new uh, way of feeling in the world yeah. through resource installation. Mm-hmm. It's very cool.
1: It's so powerful. Yeah.
0: So all that to say, um, case conceptualization theory, the reason that we're kind of turning our attention to it for a, a few episodes here is because we believe so much that um, good therapy comes from good case conceptualization.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The more that you can understand the why and the how and the, you know, what actually happened, um, not just experientially but also developmentally, mm-hmm. then you can really understand as a therapist, okay, here's the direction we need to go. Yeah. Um, so when we turn our attention to case conceptualization theory, um, we've done a lot of thinking about this. We have two trainings now, uh, you can probably count a third one, um, but that are devoted to case conceptualization. And so for us, that starts with human as organism. Mm-hmm. Human as organism um, is our sort of shorthand way of saying that we are looking at the human, the human being sitting in front of us, not just as a person um, with a name necessarily, but a a functioning biological organism Mm -hmm. made up of cells and uh, all kinds of different processes and systems within their body that is creating the person sitting in front of us right now, that by those processes processes happening, this person is showing up the way they are Mm -hmm. right now. So it's less about just viewing it as here's a person that's my three o'clock appointment uh, for a session, but here's a person who has been through a million experiences that each play a very specific role in how they became the person that I'm meeting at three o'clock mm-hmm. for my appointment. Yeah,
1: and that that is, um, that is everything to exactly how they show up at three o'clock. Um, an individual not come into the session at three o'clock, showing up in a certain way. Yeah, for any reason outside of all of that, right? Like everything, <laughs> yeah. every day, every moment, every minute. Before that, in their entire life, has built them to be who they are showing up for you in that session, in that moment. Yes. And without trying to have an understanding of all of that, it becomes really difficult to meet the client in that space and offer any source of healing or change. We have to really honor that what created them to be that. Um, a lot of how I talk in my consultation calls is every concept. Let's break it down to the very, very most basic fundamental information. Yep. And in this we're talking about literally a human is an organism the most basic pieces and then build it up from there And I think this podcast today will kind of take a similar structure. Yeah, let's talk about human is an organism And then how does it develop right from that point? forward? Yeah,
0: and really it's a beautiful way like Jen what you're talking about of this scaffolding kind of mentality it's a beautiful way to think because even human beings, we ourselves are made up of smaller processes all the way down to the smallest tiny little neuronal gap, which is just, you know, utterly tiny (laughs) compared to this larger system that it is just so vital in animating. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about, you know, the human as organism We're looking at biology. We're looking at the functioning of live cells in their relationship with other cells. And I know that this is like, wait, I thought we were talking about EMDR.
2: Okay, hold on. We'll get there. (laughs) We
0: will get there because to even talk about EMDR, we're talking about how the mind works in organizing its experience and how that shows up in the present. You know, Think about AIP, the past, present, future, and how it shows up in the present uh, is based on its experience in the past. So when we're looking at that, the reason we start talking about cells is because those cells in their functioning are shaped and created in time, in relationship, in experience. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about biological organisms, we're talking about a living thing that has organized parts and that those parts contribute to the functioning of a larger structure. We call those things humans. But in themselves, there are organs, there are uh, ways of, you know, there are systems in the body that are communicating between those organs uh, called different types of uh, nervous system. There's different ways that the body is communicating, and so we're zooming in to the human organism through that larger structure. So the basic tenets of what it means to be human is to react to stimuli, to reproduce, to grow and adapt and maintain that homeostatic balance Mm -hmm. that all of our functioning is in service of maintaining balance this promotes a really um, robust sense of resilience to any type of environment it's amazing where what you can get used to you know that saying Um, it's amazing what you can get used to (laughs) yeah that (laughs) that saying um, to me is just so so funny as a way of really capturing what Mm -hmm. um, human beings are going through each day And how you can adapt to pretty much anything if you're alive you're adapting.
1: I mean think about what we're doing right now Just surviving all of this with covid and yes, like wow, and this just feels like normal
0: It just feels like normal now. It's
1: amazing what we can get used to
0: exactly Mm -hmm. and that to me that saying it's so simple and so um, Just ubiquitous just across culture But to me it's really catching A a glimpse of something so profound to the Mm -hmm. human experience, which is that you are such a resilient and strong and capable being mm-hmm. in time. There are so many things that you can integrate and that you can adapt from or cope with. Yeah. Um, you know, now turning our attention to trauma, speaking as an EMDR therapist, it's amazing to watch these people have gone through so much, do so much,
2: mm-hmm.
0: That how resilient the organism is. And so that's why we pay attention to each uh, Cell, even in our case conceptualization, because that cell, that that body, that mass of cells, uh, was shaped through experience, and um, as that uh, continues to shape experience, we change our functioning, we change yeah. our organization, we change the way that our behavior um, actually emerges from within this body, this mm-hmm. structure,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and our mind is only one organ <laughs> in yes. that body. That is responding to the stimuli of all the other organs. But it itself is uh, made up of cells, made up of structures that are shaped through relationship.
1: So when we start considering not only our clients in this way, but us as therapists in this way, it's revolutionary. It completely shifts and changes the way we're looking at the person in the seat across from us and the way that we're beginning to understand their makeup If their energy is really big, right? If they have a lot of sympathetic energy, they're an anxious person. We begin to look at how is that right there and uh, a response of them being a human Mm -hmm. as an organism. Yes. Where did it need that kind of balance or where does that become necessary? So we want to really begin looking at this is not just a human who can't understand thinking in the right way. Right, is I, I just can't think of my situation correctly and that's why I feel this way. Mm-hmm. This is an organism trying to survive, trying to maintain homeostasis, trying to meet all of those needs that Bridger, you were talking about reproduce, grow, adapt, like all of those pieces. And then we're gonna add another layer to that, and that's humans are mammals. Yeah. So now it gets nuanced a little bit further. Right.
0: There are tons of that. groups of cells out in the world. Everything mm-hmm. you see is a group of cells of some kind. So now we're looking at, okay, but what kind of grouping of cells is this? Yes. Is the human being? Yeah. It's a mammal.
1: And what is unique to being a mammal? What mm. what does that actually mean? Mammals give birth to live young, really on intimate connections for survival and live in community. Yes. So we're taking this grouping of cells and adding those nuanced pieces of it to say it is that layer that then Still being a human organism, now we have the tendency to, to move towards community, require intimate connection, mm-hmm. um, being relationship, yeah, all
0: of those pieces. The reason I like viewing it as just what it is as a mammal is that it helps me understand why relationships matter so much. Oh, so much. Why it's, ever, it's life. It is life. Yes, mm-hmm. we are wired to connect as human beings. That's Stephen Porges. Uh, Or originator of polyvagal theory what he's communicating there is the biological reality of the human being as a mammalian organism We our cells are pointed at each other Mm. That's the reason that we are so compelled to be in relationship and are willing to pay immense cost Mm
2: -hmm.
0: To be in that relationship Why don't why do people stay in toxic relationships because it's a relationship I
1: have a story for this, it, Go just, for it. it was actually yesterday. Just popped in your head. <laughs> yes, yeah. of course, it's with my kids. Yep. So on Wednesdays, <laughs> I'm home with the kids and my. Nephew was over and they were having their conflict and their fights and they had come to me and my daughter was really upset and he was not having it. I had no sympathy. He was calling her a crybaby and it was this big fight. Yeah. And so I asked him. I said, I can tell you're really upset, bud. Can you go ahead and go back inside the house and you guys just have some space and I'll come talk to you in a little bit. I think you need to like cool down. Yeah. And he said, No. Not going in. And I was like, What? <laughs> Excuse me. (laughs) And so he refused and found all his excuses. I said, you need to go in, have some space, calm down. We need to give Breland her space. And he kept refusing, even in. when I said, okay, but if you can't listen to my directions, we're going to have to have consequences. I don't care. I'm staying right here. So... Many minutes later, we start talking about it, and I explore what is he feeling. We start talking about the root of it, and it came down to he didn't want to feel left out. Hmm. He didn't want to be alone. So for me to ask him to leave where we all were, to go inside to calm down, meant I have to go be alone, and that is terrifying, which was the whole fight in the first place, not wanting to be left out. Oh, man. Yes. And so in that moment, getting to connect with him on... Wow. So the fear of being left out or alone was greater than the fear of any consequence I could have given you. Wow. And he said, yeah. He was willing to sit there and take any consequence, pure refusal. No, I will not go inside and you can give me whatever consequence you want. Because, because at least I'll
0: get to stay here. Yes.
1: At least I will be where all these other people are and not be a lo- and isolated from yeah. everybody
0: else. Amazing.
1: That's but- a human organism,
0: that's, a yeah, exactly right. That is a <laughs> mammalian organism right there mm-hmm. of, man, yeah, I love how you told that story even of just looking at the consequences that you were going to give him. Yeah. And he was just like, yeah, sure.
2: Yeah. Whatever. I'm not going.
0: That's the consequence that I don't want. So I'm willing to take anything yeah, else. Sure. Do whatever. Take
1: my iPad. You yeah. know, <laughs> give me one. <Do> <laughs> I'll do a chore. Yeah, sure. But I don't want to be alone. If
0: I can stay out here. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's an example right there of the mammalian organism in time willing to do whatever it needs to in order to stay in connection, Mm -hmm. to maintain that relationship. And for all of uh, the clients that we see, you know, looking at the ways that, man, this relationship is really causing you a lot of distress or you do a lot to maintain this relationship. Mm -hmm. Why are your boundaries the way that they are? Why are they not there? (laughs) Why are you willing to take so much pain or inflict so much pain In this relationship, um, because it's not serving you so well. Well, it's because I'm a mammal. Mm -hmm. I, I belong in relationships, and every cell of my being knows that. Yeah. So I can't think my way out of that.
1: And most often that is occurring beyond, below conscious awareness. Yes. We're not walking through the world with that recognition. In fact, my nephew Jackson had no idea until we got into exploring it and talking about it. Yes. That then it moved into his conscious awareness to be able to speak to it. But it didn't start there. Yeah. He wasn't able to say that at the beginning. Yeah. And so we're not navigating in that way. In fact, we're probably making up a million other reasons to try to make sense of that. But every cell of your being is wired and oriented to experiencing connection right. and being in community.
0: Right. So there's a quick summary that I want to give just of the human as a biological mammal. Um, but then jumping into larger case conceptualization theory, uh, I, I think it's just going to be really helpful in elucidating or like just illuminating why we're talking about this mm-hmm. in, on an EMDR podcast. Um, so to recap just the first little bit here, we are biological mammalian organisms, which means we have all of these complex systems made up of just billions of cells um, that are in service of staying connected and finding safety in that connection. Um, These, uh, all of these pursuits and all of these, these kinds of ways of trying to navigate through relationships to find safety um, shape our development. So the way, the very way that we go about our day is shaping, maintaining, also changing our, our development and our, our body, our cells and how they're organized, which creates a different state of mind. Creates a very different, even understanding of ourself. So, as we look at the smallest cell and how it's shaped over time, it's contributing to the development of this larger structure from which, you know, if you're thinking about the brain, from how that brain is organized in its structure and in its function, the mind emerges, the thing that we're interacting with, or at least what we think we're interacting with. That concept of self and other comes from the organization of the structures which is shaped over time in relationships mm-hmm. so why talk about mammalian biology well it's because that is going to help us understand why relationships matter so much and even how the brain is developed over time
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's because we're so driven we are wired to connect
1: yeah so bringing into that of why does that matter for the eight phase protocol of EMDR therapy I love it right, <laughs> right. why does the significance in that? Through those lenses, through understanding that, it will begin to highlight what resources, relational resources, are absolutely critical mm-hmm. before we can move into processing trauma and moving into an adaptive place in that. Like yeah. we, it'll also begin to highlight what targets, what were the early relational trauma, potentially, in that, mm-hmm. that are really um, influencing the way someone is later processing other life experiences. Another quick example, I'll try not to share too many stories, but a client I just saw today, um, we have been working together for a long time on some major sexual trauma, mm. and no matter how much we process this, it, the hook is it always comes back to this shame experience, like mm. this shame, and I she can't bad. move past it. Like No matter what interweave I bring in or what other like floatbacks we do to find it, and as we float back, nothing's coming up because she has a great family, beautiful, you know, wonderful family, great friend support, all of this. And after working together for a long time today, I just asked her, I said, something in me it just keeps coming back to your family. And the only reason is because when we're looking at, as we try to process these experiences of the sexual trauma and shame, it's not budging. Like I can't get it to shift. Mm -hmm. Then I start to ask, I wonder why this brain is oriented towards shame being the default. Yes. Why is the brain tipping towards shame rather than blame rather than something else? Like it's oriented toward that. Therefore, how was it constructed? How was it developed and built with shame as a centerpiece of it? Right. And that goes back to early early life experiences Mm. and just looking at that and she has no huge overt explicit you know like this is huge trauma about that with her parents they're good parents but some pieces and threads in there even the subtlest thing that she's never been able to actually put story to because one if she starts to express it people around her say but your family loves you and they do anything for you they
0: invalidate that experience yes
1: which perpetuates her
0: shame exactly i shouldn't be bothered by this because exactly. everyone's telling me
1: they're wonderful mm-hmm. and they are. I think they really are great people, but there's pain and right. they're for her. And
0: yeah, something we talk about another in, in uh, one of our trainings is that there's no, this isn't about finding the hero or the villain. This isn't about identifying a good or a bad. Um, this is about so much more than just identifying. Um, like I said, the villain or the hero in the story, the parents of that person are not, um, we're not going back to try to find somebody to assign blame to. We're looking at, you know, the ways that maybe they were great parents, but what happened? Like, what were the ways that they would show up to, um, you know, you expressing your needs to Mm -hmm. you saying, I have to go to the bathroom. And, you know, this one car ride where that wasn't convenient for mom, well that she did yell at me or she got impatient with me or right. whatever that doesn't make her a bad mom she's got impatient and had that experience but it's because of the way that that whole situation went down that got stored in the brain as oh it's not okay for me to have my needs yeah and then when i share my needs and it gets reacted to that's bad right so i just need to hold this in yeah i need to not share my needs because they're going to be responded mm-hmm. to negatively and over time as that's perpetuated, it the need itself becomes bad
2: mm-hmm.
0: the fact that I have needs at all yep. becomes bad
1: yep and and with her in this the the story around mom and dad started to crumble almost immediately oh
0: wow and, yeah and
1: um yeah just started to crumble a bit. I could just see the flood of all of these moments of shame that were always excused through it's parenting of course the parents right child is wrong and yeah and the invalidation of those around of, but we have a great family. Um,
0: I just want to talk about this case now. Oh yeah, I know. Because <laughs> these I are know. it's so frequent of for those, especially any in any dismissive orientation um, in their mind of nope, it was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Yep, loved the, it.
1: The discrepancy between the story that's there and what the body is experiencing, and how and it's what the up. organism mm-hmm. is experiencing, and having to adapt to to survive. Right. Um, that's where the shame comes into play with her case conceptualization of all of this yeah but it's through the recognition of all of this that you can sit with a case um that really isn't that complex right in general she's not on the top of my charts for complex cases she's not, in cases, crisis. She's not right? yeah oh yeah she's very, very well adjusted yes but That's just, okay, why was this, these targets not moving and to conceptualize back, I need more information. And to go back even earlier, we bring in these pieces and it feels so much more clear Mm -hmm. and we have so much more information of now, Ooh, here's the information we need to be processing. Right. Here are the resources she really needs.
0: Yeah. I love this case as an example for kind of guiding our time today, because it, it really highlights how, you know, that, that organism its primary task being connection and survival was in dynamic, contextualized relationship with her parents up and throughout her life. And the story that was told was that we're good enough like to stay together. Mm-hmm. This is a good relationship. Um, we know how to please one another and we know how to maintain that balance that the organism is so um, just dependent on. Mm-hmm. But that comes at a cost. So we have to develop these what we call strategies to navigate those dynamics. I'm not going to share my need here because I know that it's going to create this reaction, yeah. which is going to produce that type of uh, perception of me. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to be treated in a way that I don't like to be treated. Yep. And that so I'm just going to tuck that away.
1: Potentially put me at risk of disconnection. Exactly. Rejection. I- isolation from... The group, the family.
0: Yes, exactly. So my strategy is suppress affect, choose cognition, Mm -hmm. which is the story that was given. Mom and dad love me. Everybody everybody around me tells me how great my family is. Okay. That sounds good. I'll adopt that strategy and continue to invalidate my own experience. Yeah. Which is, I actually, there are some times where I feel hurt. Yeah. My feelings are hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. And the story that's being told is that that doesn't matter. Yeah. Maybe I don't matter.
1: In session, her strategy three or four times showed up of, but I want you to know. Yeah, I don't want I you to think. I love my parents yeah. and they love me. Yeah. It's so it's like, that still okay. like we have to keep the story of that. Yeah. Because if that's potentially yeah, challenged in any way, what could that mean? Because that's been the sur- that's been the strategy sir, for survival. That could mean something catastrophic. Yeah. Therefore, I will just repress the affect that I'm experiencing, yeah. rather than face whatever.
0: You're that saying could something be. that we talk about all the time. But the more consultation I do, the more I realize that people don't talk this way. And so I want to double down on something that you just said, which was that excuse making mm-hmm. or that redirecting that. Um, you know kind of reframing and making sure that you as a the therapist don't have a negative view of my parents Yep, why is that important? Why is that happening? Why are they saying it that way right now? Why did it come up four times? Mm-hmm. And without a good case conceptualization theory you just pass right by it. Yeah, just be like no. Yeah Oh, yeah, totally. No, I you know I feel the same way about mine or whatever mm-hmm. like you might do to try to attend to that feeling and that thing that they keep saying over and over again but if you look at it through this lens you're starting to see that they need me to know that their parents love them and that they love their parents because if if they get the slightest hint that maybe that's not true, maybe now I have to deal with all of these things on my own. Yeah. Maybe now I have to look back and see the ways that my parents maybe didn't treat me the greatest.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, this isn't about villain or hero. No. This is not all of a sudden making Your parents out to be the worst people on the planet But it's calling it what it is And Mm -hmm. showing the ways that your system Was invalidated Mm -hmm. over time Which is why they're showing up with I have a great job and now I have my own family And I'm still Scared
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I'm still not happy I still don't like who I am Yeah, Even though I did everything That culture and my family said Was right
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah I think we could use this example as we continue to build upon yeah. this concept of how it becomes more and more complex. And and the first, or I guess the next layer in that is we take a human as an organism and bring them into relationship of any sort with another human organism.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love thinking of it in my mind as like this, and we use triangles when we <laughs> represent uh-huh. this for in our trainings, but... You know, It's this mass of cells that are all shaped through their experience for a very specific purpose, safety and connection. And so they're willing to adopt all these strategies to please the other or to make balance happen Mm -hmm. in between the two people. So not just a person standing next to a person, but really viewing each of those people as histories of strategy formation. Just tons of experience in each of those beings that has formed – their, their very way of moving through the world. And now they're interfacing with another person who has gone through that exact same yes. series of, you know, their own version, but that same process of being shaped over time in experience.
1: Yes. So in her case, the other humans would be her parents, right? right? And recognize that when we say there's no villain or hero, we're saying that they are their own entire history of information years upon years of life experiences that developed and shaped them into the parent role that they play with her that shaped them into being those people that she then experiences Mm. in that way that then shapes her and the cycle continues the
0: cycle continues that's Mm -hmm. right and we have a figure in, in one of our trainings that literally shows that bottom up you know so it's coming from the body up into the mind Um, that then influences the relationship between uh, the two organisms and that that flow then begins to be reciprocal. Yes. The influence back and forth.
1: So based on all of their life experiences, and we'll bring in some EMDR language in this, of all of their potential trauma targets that have not been resolved, right? Their unprocessed traumas that are leading into how they're showing up in the present and how they're anticipating things to go in the future. Right. Influencing all of that will determine how they react or respond to her in any given moment. Yeah. And she will then receive that, which will influence the way she shows up and returns and responds to them, which mm. then perpetuates you know, their response patterns yeah. back
0: to her. and I can't remember, we haven't done this episode yet, I don't think, of the interpersonal neurobiology of no. EMDR? No. Okay. Um, but in that episode, something that we're going to talk about because it's in my brain. <laughs> but the episode's
1: um, already recorded in Bridget's brain. <laughs> yeah, basically. I don't think we have.
0: I don't think we have either. But um, the, you know, why a trauma target exists is because the system cannot, cannot contextualize it mm-hmm. in time, in a way that is conducive to the primary tenets, which is safety and connection. Mm-hmm. It's not working. I can't plug this memory into an adaptive network, quote unquote, that leads to that path very cleanly like mm-hmm. I need it to. So I'm going to hold on to it because there, there exists in it experiences where I have no idea how to understand how yeah. I can be safe in connection if this is true. Yes. If this thing happens again, I don't know what I'm going to do mm-hmm. because I had no idea how to handle it when it happened. Yeah. And so really, I, I'm terrified of it happening again. hmm that is our now new understanding of what is PTSD. What is all of these uh, mm-hmm. all of these diagnoses that we go around talking about? It's the organism feeling fear and shame.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you look at those two things, you can explain the entire Everything. DSM. <laughs> you can, Everything. And you find that those things often, almost, and exclusively happen in relationship, or it was the way the relationship evaluated the thing that was mm-hmm. the problem. Mm-hmm. That was the real pain. So in, in this way, we're looking at each, each experience, even the quote unquote processed targets, those, those, uh, processed traumas, those ways, the ways that those things were integrated into the system formed that system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's unprocessed or not. It still is necessary. Yeah. It's still mm-hmm. relevant to looking at the human organism as it shows up now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when you have these two organisms in time, or these two humans interacting, they continue to influence the development and the shaping of each person's strategies yes. and nervous system. Um, and that. Is, is happening in any relationship, right? It's right. happening between two partners. It's happening between family members. Right. It's happening on every scale yes. of relationship.
0: And it's, you know, so viewing now, we're sort of zooming back out. So we've viewed each cell in its organization within one human. Mm-hmm. Now we added the second one and we're looking at the ways that those develop, that those energies interact. But then also that that dyad and even any relational context Exists within an environment. Yeah, so now we're zooming out even larger to see the environment that those relationships are being formed in The environment influences the organism as well as the relationship Mm -hmm. This is where you know, you can put a a person from one environment into a situation and they don't experience it as traumatizing Mm -hmm. You view it you, you put another person from a different context into that same situation and they find it traumatizing Yeah, this is the way that the brain and body learn through their development, through the structural changes in their development, in experience, that the environment is what is facilitating all of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's not just looking at, well, yeah, you're in a toxic relationship, so of course you're depressed. It's like, no, yeah. zoom all the way in and all the way back out mm-hmm. again. That's what good case conceptualization does.
1: I love that idea of that, that zoom all the way and get to the most... Smallest piece of the puzzle and take the time to zoom all the way out That will be your full robust case conceptualization that will begin to highlight all aspects of what right
0: when we're saying zooming We're talking about contextualizing that thing. So the smallest little organism. We're going to contextualize that in time in in relationship how that those cells are organized in the body is through relationship, through experience, and those relationships and experience happen in environments, in in relational dynamic contexts. And so to not view any one of those pieces mean you're means you're not seeing the full picture. Mm-hmm. You're not looking at all of the experience that could be shaping and is shaping yeah. that organism in time.
1: Those environmental influences could be many, many different things. Oh, man. Home environment. School. Um, school. Socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. Like what what type of resources do we even have available to us? Yeah.
0: Culture. Culture is a big one. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's just so many that, um, you know, it more so this good case conceptualization theory comes from a humble and open posture mm-hmm. of learning from not directing towards or like not saying this is what's wrong with you and this is what you need to do, but really a posture of making meaning together, yeah. making sense together. Yes. How do we posture ourselves towards one another? It's from a curious place, not a certain place, mm-hmm. not a place with authoritative language, but a place of I want to learn why the way that you are makes sense given where you came from mm-hmm. and where you are now. Because there's story there. There's breadcrumbs all over the place of why that person is the way that they are. Why organizing their experience the way that they are makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. And there's no way of really assuming or predetermining the impact that environment has or what influence it has. But that's where that curiosity comes in of any one culture um, or home environment or socioeconomic status to be able to ask, what was that like for you? Yeah. How did you experience that? Yeah. What influenced that? What did you learn that you needed? Yes. To navigate and survive that status, that culture, that home environment, that school environment, yeah. any of those pieces, just a lot of curiosity. Yeah,
0: and I think it—it's that posture that likely gave way to you discovering more about this case that you were yeah. talking about. It's like why you were just mentioning like why can't this thing shift? Mm-hmm. Why can't we get any movement on this thing? And just following that curiosity, going back to the basics again of case conceptualization theory, like, I really just keep coming back to your family. Yeah. I just wonder if we can be open about that together, Yeah. of why that might be important mm-hmm. in this.
2: Yes.
1: And how, yeah, without going too much down the rabbit hole, but how the story, again, like the, even in exploring the pieces of the influence that the environment has, she has her story over it, but tuning into how is her body showing up in it? And what am I feeling in that? The story itself is like, I mean, I've asked her many times about her family, right? And so, staying curious about it is is not just accepting what the story is for them over it but also staying curious of what is their body expressing to you and what seems to be continuing to show up in the space around that topic right.
0: so it's not necessarily or it's not just limited to what happened but how did it happen mm-hmm. so what were your experiences of your parents like what you know what are some of the things that you would have gone through with them and then yeah. looking at the specific how The way I kind of talk about it with my clients is, you know, if we were to look back at a photo album of your life, that's one way of looking at this. But then what if we were able to click on one of the pictures and play that thing out? Mm. How did it go? What were the dynamics that were unfolding in and between you two and what did you know that you couldn't say? What did you know that was off limits? What did you know that... You know, I can't show up like this because it's going to create this reaction. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I really want to process together in therapy because that is what is shaping and coming from the the human as an organism. Yeah it's not the 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 qualitative uh, kind of overarching uh, labels that you're giving to a relationship. This mm-hmm. is a good relationship. right. No, I don't care about that. Like I know that you want me to think that it is, and I think that's awesome. Can I hear more of the how of the relationship? What do you know about that person? What's the relationship actually like?
1: And, and this is a common term that we'll use with EMDR of not what do you think about it, Yeah. but not on a head level, but on a gut level. What do yeah. you feel about it? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can directly ask that and they can speak to that or you can observe it often. So not just what happened or what kind of relationship but exploring the how and the what does it feel like for them when they think about it when they think about their relationship with their parents or the childhood or growing up in these certain ways or what the home environment was like having them connect with what's the body expressing about that
0: yeah and that question again gets right into uh the the biology of the human experience which is that your body knows so much, so much more than your head thinks. Like the things you think are themselves just emerging yeah. from what your body knows. Yes. Where is safety? What do I need to do to secure safety? Do I need to not share that I'm sad most of the time? Cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I won't. I'll keep it in. Yeah. Do I need to try to hide how angry this person makes me because of the way I see them treat someone else? the way that they treat me, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: then I'll hide it. The body is capable of infinite numbers of possibilities of strategy Mm -hmm. in order to secure safety in connection.
1: And it's always being shaped. Always. And developed and change shifts are always happening.
0: Yes. Constantly. Constantly. Always adapting. Yes.
1: Okay. So the The other piece we wanted to add into this is the influence of trauma, which I feel like we've kind of in spoke to that throughout. Yeah. But adding that in, mm. if we've got human as an organism, two humans coming into interaction or relationship, the influences of the environment on that, and then the influences
0: of trauma. Yeah, I had a consultee. Tell me that they were sharing about somatic integration and processing SIP with uh, one of their other uh, sort of mentors. And the mentor gave caution to them for not getting too concerned with trauma. Don't look just at trauma because it's actually, and hold on, I know you're getting (laughs) fired up, but I want you to hear this because.
1: Okay, I'm listening. And I'll
0: even say something more provocative to you, which is that we don't actually care about trauma by itself. Okay. It's the way trauma shapes the organism yeah. that we care about.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Okay. Because that's what this person said. They said, don't get too wrapped up into uh, focusing too much on trauma because really it's about organizing experience mm-hmm. and why experience is organized the way that it is. And in hearing this, like from the from my uh, um, consultee, I had kind of a similar body activation of just like, it is wait, all about trauma, yeah, actually. Wait a yeah. But then in hearing her say that, it was just like, well, yeah, all mm-hmm. we care about is organizing experience. The reason we talk about trauma so much is because of the impact, the yeah. power right. that it has in calling to action mm-hmm. the body's natural process of trying to figure something out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's going to completely dismantle our normal way, quote unquote, of finding homeostasis. Uh-huh. Trauma creates such powerful memories of fear within us that we are, that our normal faculties fall apart. We are still activated as if the trauma is happening in the present moment. Mm-hmm. We are still carrying about this anxiety, this timidity, this, this, this anxiousness in our body because we're certain that it's going to happen again. Like I said, mm-hmm.
2: when,
0: when something happens in time that we feel like we can't understand how safety and connection is possible, we now hold on to that. We we capture it in time in our in our minds and that then haunts the present. It brings about this sense of I can't function because I can't understand how safety and connection is possible if this traumatic experience could happen again. Mm-hmm. That's why trauma matters so much. It has a profound and powerful lasting impact on the organism's ability to organize experience. We can't understand that safety and connection is possible if trauma exists in the world. If we know, if we have a personal knowledge of trauma in our system, in our body, the way it shaped us, that is going to be that unprocessed trauma that we care so much about as EMDR therapists. But even when it is, quote unquote, resolved or processed, the body still knows, the body still knows that trauma exists in the world
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: it still knows that there are threats to my safety and connection around each corner
1: yeah it would be unsafe if yeah. it didn't
0: so i saw a lot of curious yeah, space I'm, I'm curious what you're
1: my i'm absolutely assimilating, integrating that information in my head <laughs> yeah. and um that's really powerful i would like to know who your consultant was that's amazing yeah um no, but I think what, what is just coming up is like, of course, of course, but not having those words to express it. When we talk about resourcing is just as critical yeah. as trauma processing, that is That's speaking why. to that directly yes. of the, the significance and importance in the resourcing is because it also helps to organize experience. That's right. Just as much as resolving the trauma helps to you know allow the system to right. reorganize the experience. And
0: it was beautiful to get to share... That explanation with that consultee because they initially were kind of like hurt by that comment by their, their other mentor. Mm. They were just like, like, dang it. Somebody doesn't understand. And for me to be able to just connect with them and say like, no, yes, actually. But we're bringing in a vital piece of understanding how, how. Experiences are organized because trauma is one of the most impactful experiences that we can go through as human yeah. organisms Because of our inability to understand again, how safety and connection is possible if right. this dynamic is possible Also, yeah. those things are incongruent in my mind.
1: Trauma puts a huge wrench in the system's ability to Organize it in an adaptive manner, right? Um,
0: That's the interpersonal yeah. neurobiology of trauma right mm-hmm. there that's why the mind cares so much about mm-hmm. trauma. Mm-hmm. And that's why for some people, an experience can be completely integrated without a traumatized somatic experience. But then for somebody else, that exact same experience is more traumatizing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That that right there, for some reason, that person experienced whatever it was as, nope, I can still find safety and connection with this in my universe. Yeah, But for the other person, it got in the way. Mm-hmm. It said no. If this is true, if this thing can happen, safety and connection is impossible. Yep. Or maybe, um, very much under threat.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I need to worry about this. I really do.
1: Need to really develop some very incredible strategies. Yep.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope that this was uh, informative to you as listeners of. Um, why case conceptualization theory matters so much and why viewing it at the very finite smallest part as human as organism Mm -hmm. is so necessary. Mm -hmm. And in SIP, we talk about this for over two or three hours just on human organism alone, and then we reference it for three days. Yes. (laughs) And then in SIP2, we add a whole new layer. So (laughs) speaking of that, we have trainings coming up.
1: We do have trainings. We have several trainings coming up, and our first... Training coming up is in Springfield. It's an EMDR basic training. And I know a lot of you listening already are trained in EMDR, but if you're not and interested, or if you have a colleague, um, a friend, someone you know that's looking to get trained, that's already a therapist, but would like to have EMDR as um, another skill set, we will be here in Springfield at our new center September 16th through the 20th. And you can find the registration, uh, I believe it's on the website, but I would encourage you just to reach out via email at training at beyondhealingcenter.com and let us know that you're interested and we'll get you all the information for that. We also have a couple of um, SIP trainings coming up, which is more in-depth, three days on case conceptualization. And that is, the next one that we have is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That will be offered as a hybrid, so you can join us virtually if you want to stay there at home or at your office and join us via Zoom. That will be October 7th through the 9th, and that is three full days. we have a SAP two training. So if you have already taken the SAP one training and you're listening and would be interested in taking that next level one, you will probably hear from us via our newsletter. Um, but just in case we'll be doing that October 5th through the 7th. Okay. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We're going to continue kind of in this series on case conceptualization for the next few episodes. Yes. So we're excited to dive in (laughs) even more in depth. Yes, So take care and we'll talk again soon.
0: Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.